Senate Democrats go into full meltdown. Our president calls his former hooker a horse face. And Stephen Hawking warns of the cyborg apocalypse from beyond the grave. Then Google does an evil and subsequently exposes the weaknesses of neoliberalism. Plus, we will see Democrats employing the same strategies they're doing now, even 20 years ago in the case of Robin Williams. I'm Michael Knowles, and this is The Michael Knowles Show. All right, you horse faces, we have a lot to get to today. Before we get to that, let's make a little money, honey. How about that? Uh, I want to talk to you about software advice, because when you're dealing with a real head scratcher, having your go-to person on call, that is a no-brainer, which is why I've got to tell you about software advice. This is very important, and I wish that I'd known about this when I've worked on campaigns. I've worked in other small businesses. Uh, you can waste a lot of time and you waste a lot of money trying to figure out the right software solutions for your business. And time and money, it's, both, it's the same thing, right? One, you're wasting your time trying to uh, figure out which is best for you. And then if you finally pick one, it can be a very costly mistake if you don't know what you're doing. So when it comes to picking the right software for your business, Software Advice has done all the research for you. They can get you working more effectively right away. And it's absolutely free. This is the best part because it's a price that you can afford. Just go to softwareadvice.com slash Knowles, K-N-O-W-L-E-S. You will be connected with an advisor to discuss the best software options for your needs. It takes just 10 minutes or less, and it's free. So if you don't have 10 minutes or less to spend not spending money and helping out your business, I don't know what you're doing. If you're a medical professional, construction manager, or HR pro, you name it, really anything, software advice will save you time and money. If you're an entrepreneur or you work solo, it is a great way to get an expert opinion, even without the resources of a big company. End the software struggle today. Go to softwareadvice.com slash Knowles, K-N-O-W-L-E-S. That is software advice.com slash Knowles, K-N-O-W-L-E-S. Connect with an advisor for free, softwareadvice.com slash Knowles. I got to tell you, when I realized yesterday that I didn't have a show, I was out giving a speech um, to a Republican club around here, I, I was really upset because the, the morning opened up with horse face. You know, I, Elisa wakes up before I do, sweet little Elisa. So, you know, she's reading the news and she just wakes me up. She goes, Mac, Mac, wake up, horse face. Wake up. You got a lot of news to read, Mac. So, <laughs> so we see this. The president called his former hooker a horse face. Specifically, he tweeted out, quote, federal judge throws out Stormy Daniels lawsuit versus Trump. Trump is entitled to full legal fees. At Fox News, great, now I can go after Horseface and her third-rate lawyer in the great state of Texas. She will confirm the letter she signed. She knows nothing about me, a total con. Horseface obviously referring to Stormy Daniels. Um, I, I have the opposite reaction to this that I think virtually everyone else did, so we'll get into why I think this was actually not a terrible political move in a second. Not exactly polite, not exactly chivalrous, but uh, politically it actually might have been a smart move. Uh, but first, uh, we're actually very fortunate to be joined now by Stormy Daniels. I think this is an exclusive on the Michael Knowles show to get Ms. Daniels's reaction to the Trump tweet. Uh, Ms. Daniels, what, what do you make of it? And why did you start this fight with him? Uh, you know, this battle of names, obviously you first called uh, called out President Trump for his genitalia, and you put that in your book, and that then he's responding to this. Why did you start that fight in the first place? I got those empty feed bag, empty feed bag blues. 
Mm, understood. That makes sense. Obviously, if you publish a book with scintillating details about the shape of the president's member, then uh, you, you can fill up that feedback a little bit more, make a little more money, honey. I totally understand that. I totally understand that tendency. Um, let's not forget, before we get into the rudeness of it all, it's so rude, it's so rude. She did start this fight. She did. Uh, the president slept with this porn star, allegedly, uh, in what, 2006, something like that. Uh, they have a one night stand and then, uh, he offers her some money. She doesn't take the money. Then before the election, it seems that she blackmails the guy. Uh, he wants her to sign a, a non-disclosure agreement. He uh, pays her, what was it? $130,000, $150,000 to keep quiet money, not very well spent because she didn't keep quiet. It came out. She started talking about it total violation of even the blackmail NDA that she had been pushing for, all the money she received. Then she publishes this book. So she, she publishes this book where she says, uh, President Trump's uh, uh, little, little Donald, Donald Jr., and I'm not talking about his son, uh, resembles the mushroom character from Mario Kart and on and on. What we know about Donald Trump is that he responds to every single attack. Any attack that you make on him, he will return five times as hard. Doesn't matter if you're a man, woman, child, <laughs> you know, anything, he will hit back. It doesn't matter if you are John McCain, POW in Vietnam, he hits back against anybody. And she started the fight. We saw this with the Rosie O'Donnell thing. You know, Rosie O'Donnell uh, attacked Donald Trump. Donald Trump was merciless and vicious toward her, but she did start it. So that's, that's the first side of this. Now, is it ever nice to say these things about women? No. Is it ever nice to say these things about the hooker that you were sleeping with while your wife was pregnant? No. Uh, do I recommend that people do it? Uh, no. That said, this sh Stormy Daniels made this a political battle. She decided to blackmail a presidential candidate. She decided to, to violate her non-disclosure agreement. She decided to try to attack the president in an election year, in a midterm election year. And so he's got to fight back. I mean, the reason we elected Donald Trump is because he fights back, finally. Um, now, I want to analyze this, uh, this language a little bit, too, because I think politically it was a good attack. Why? The, the kind of consensus conservative view is that this squandered all of the good news. The good news is he won the defamation ruling. The court threw out Avenatti, threw out Stormy Daniels, and uh, gave a win to President Trump. That's the good news, and he's stepping on it by calling her horseface. I don't think that's true. I don't think anybody would report that he won that uh, ruling, that defamation ruling, if he didn't make it saucy with something like horseface. If he didn't, we wouldn't be talking about it. Maybe on this show we would have mentioned it, but it wouldn't have gotten any play in the media. The reason it's getting play is because he called his former prostitute a uh, horse face. And so everyone is running with that on NBC, on the New York Times, Washington Post, all of that. And then you have to ask, well, why did he call her horse face? Oh, it was while he won that defamation ruling against her. So I actually think politically it's pretty smart. And I don't think that you need to be some conspiratorial mastermind 4D chess person to think so. Donald Trump is a media manipulator. That is essentially what this guy is. He is, has been doing it since the 1980s. He is the greatest media manipulator of his age. He's doing it again in this tweet. He knows exactly what he's doing. He knows exactly what effect the, the words will have. I'd also like to point out on the uh, nickname itself, it's a pun. I don't think people have noticed this. Horse face to refer to his whore. She's a, she takes money to have sex with people. So 
the horse face, he's saying her face looks like a horse and she's a whore and it's a whore's face. Um, uh, again, I don't think this is conspiratorial. He's really good with nicknames. He knows what nicknames will stick. He knows why they stick. Low Energy Jeb, Little Marco, Lion Ted, Crooked Hillary. He's really good at this. He does it all the time. And Horseface is one of these. And, and the reason that we're talking about it, the reason we're spending so much time talking about it even on this show is because of the name. But what does the name represent? That the Stormy Daniels thing was a farce, that it was nothing, it went nowhere. And it reminds us, it keeps at the front of our minds that she lost this battle. Michael Avenatti, the third-rate lawyer, lost this battle. Who won the battle? President Trump. And a reminder that he's uh, he's very good at language. Uh, now I want to get into the Democrat meltdown. There has been nothing short of a total Democrat meltdown here. You've you've looked at the case, you know the the Senate races across the country. Let me put this in perspective for you. Yesterday in the state of Nevada, a GOP candidate for state legislature and a pimp, he was a a pimp and a brothel owner, was discovered dead in his bed by legendary porn star Ron Jeremy after a campaign brothel party at which Sheriff Joe Arpaio and tax reform hero Grover Norquist uh, were in attendance and that Tucker Carlson called into pimp, GOP candidate, brothel owner, brothel party, 70s porn star, Joe Arpaio, Grover Norquist. That is like not even a headline today. That is so not the news of the day. That might be the fifth wildest political story of the day. That tells you something about the Democratic Party going into full meltdown mode. What is going on? Obviously, the biggest one is Elizabeth Warren. This is true of Heidi Heitkamp. It's true of Beto O'Rourke, and Beto or Robert Francis O'Rourke. It's true of all of these races, but the Liz Warren one is just too delicious. Uh, the Cherokee Nation has come out now and issued a statement saying, stop pretending to be Native American. You're not Native American. This is a fraud. You should apologize. Uh, total PR disaster. I, I don't, I, I like to give politicians their due when it comes to little PR stunts, even if they're Democrats. This was an unmitigated disaster, a complete backfire on Liz Warren. She could have walked outside and just repeatedly stepped on a rake. It would have been less of a self-inflicted wound than what she did with this stupid DNA test. Even MSNBC, the left-wing news outlet, is making fun of her for this. Here they are. Did she gain anything by by putting out this this DNA, the DNA test results? Best I can gather, according to your paper's reporting, she's one one thousandth or something (laughs) like, I mean, I I think I might be just as Native American as she is. I think I might be just as Native American as she is on MSNBC. Statistically speaking, he, that guy is, he's probably more Native American than she is. The average American is 1.8% uh, Native American, the average white person, and she is 1, 1,024th. Uh, and she thought this was going to work. So now she's in, in total damage control mode. She's tweeting. She's trying to go into damage control mode. Here is, I think, this is the most compelling uh, damage control a commercial that the Warren campaign has put out so far. Take a look. People can stop it. <laughs> I'm not even going to explain that for the people who are just listening to this show right now. You have to go online and watch that clip. I, you know, people can stop. So one, one little tear going down. Uh, I don't know if that one's going to work either though. Absolutely awful. You know, she really, you might say she really tried to buffalo the American people on this one. Hmm. 
You might say the response was really uh, savage. Mm. Mm. All right, enough of that. Uh, so the Cherokee Nation comes out against her. They say, please stop pretending to be a Native American. And then, you know, Donald Trump calls her Pocahontas. This has now added, this whole episode has added a number of new nicknames to the popular consciousness. Aliawatha, Pocahonky, uh, Chief Spreading Bull, uh, on, on and on and on. Now, a Pocahontas descendant, her name is Debbie White Dove Perico, Pareco, is coming out and calling on Liz Warren to apologize. Says it makes a mockery of Native Americans. I don't know. I, I take it that this Native American family married into the Italians at some point if with a name like Debbie White Dove Pareco. Maybe not. I don't know. Um, but she, does, she should apologize. Liz Warren should apologize. She can't apologize now. So I think the idea was, I'm going to go out. I'm going to show that I'm going to hit back. She's actually, ironically, Liz Warren is trying to learn the lessons of the Trump era. She's trying to emulate Donald Trump because Donald Trump punches. He fights back. He do, but it doesn't work when people who are not Donald Trump try to be Donald Trump. Do you remember, you know, little Marco doing the Rickles routine? It does not work. They don't get this lesson. You can only be yourself. You can only bring yourself to politics. I mean, look, everything you've ever done is going to be exposed. Your character is going to be exposed. It's going to be tested. You're going to be exhausted. You're going to have all these fair and unfair attacks against you. You can only be yourself. The inauthentic things are going to wash away, especially in this era with 4K and social media and 24-7 news. You've, you can only be yourself. She, she isn't this person. She's not good uh, at fighting back. I think her 2020 hopes are over. I, I'm, I'm willing to make that prediction now, actually, which is so early to do it, but I think it's over. I mean, even for vice president, I think she would have a very hard time. It's more plausible for a VP spot. I, I thought she was f fatally wounded, mortally wounded, even before this debacle, this DNA test, again, because of this authenticity thing. And again, because what we know about Liz Warren, first of all, she's grating, she's annoying, she's elitist, she's arrogant, she's all of these things. She's not an attractive candidate outside of Massachusetts. Was that her tribe? No, she's Cherokee, not Massachusetts. Um, so she wasn't a great candidate nationally in that regard anyway. But a after this, I mean, you know, in the, in the beginning, all we knew is she's a fraud. She passed herself off as something that she patently is not for decades and decades, beginning in the 80s, doubling down in the 90s. So I thought that would hit her. If she had just not addressed it and just left it up to people's imagination, maybe she could have pulled the Clinton and said, oh, that's old news. You know, the Clintons would always do this. They would, they would commit some scandal and then they would stonewall reporters when they would ask about it or stonewall Republicans when they would ask about it. And then years later, they'd say it's old news. It's not old news. You just haven't answered it until now. And now you're saying it's, it's old news. She, she might've been able to do that. Um, but after this, the gamble left her far worse off. Now we know she's one one thousandth, maybe, maybe one one thousandth Native American. It, it really hits her. This also teaches another lesson of 2018, which is deny, deny, deny till you die. Uh, it's sort of a sad state of our politics that there's no grace and there's no mercy and there's no repentance right now. But you see it with the Me Too movement. The, the people who admitted to sexual misconduct in Hollywood, in corporate America, and in politics, the ones who admitted and apologized are dead. They are in jail. They have had their careers ruined. They are like, they get Kevin Spacey'd. They get cast into the outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. The ones who deny do fine. The ones who deny basically can survive it. 
Ben Affleck denied he survives it. These other media moguls who deny they survive it. Some politicians who deny, sort of Bob Menendez can survive it. Um, uh, that is the lesson. That's kind of sad because it means we're in a, a particularly shallow moment where we don't have a sense of mercy. We don't have a sense of grace. We're just out for blood. We're out for revenge. We're out for justice. But that is the fact. And candidates who are running this year uh, have to watch out for that. Hopefully it'll change in the future because I'd rather live in a world where you can say, oh yeah, 10 years ago I did that thing and I shouldn't have done it. I feel bad. I haven't done it since. I don't want to do it anymore. Say, so, okay, that's fine. But we don't, we don't live there right now. So if you're running in 2018, deny till you die. That's all you can do. Um, America's not feeling particularly remorseful at the moment. The other total collapse beyond Liz Warren is Heidi Heitkamp of North Dakota. Heidi Heitkamp, if you haven't seen this story, she released a full-page newspaper ad listing the names, purportedly, of sexual assault victims. So women who say, I was sexually assaulted, I was, and she just lists their names in a newspaper ad for her campaign. And then it turns out the women never gave their permission to be in the ad. And then it turns out some of the women were not sexually assaulted. They actually deny ever having been sexually assaulted. What was Heidi Heitkamp thinking? Uh, I mean, or whatever aide took out this newspaper ad, what were they thinking? This is the Me Too hysteria in full swing. You want to talk about a pendulum going back and forth. This is absurd. You're now outing people who were raped or sexually assaulted and don't want it to be known because of the stigma attached to it. And then you're just making it up for other people. Where did they get this list? Uh, One of the women, Katie Miller, said, quote, a lot of these people listed, including me, did not get, give anyone permission for our names to be posted. I don't even support Heidi Heitkamp and I am not a domestic abuse survivor. Obviously, whatever staffer put this together has long been fired and probably murdered. But could you imagine Heidi Heitkamp's face? She was already facing a really tough re-election fight. She got killed in this Kavanaugh thing because she doubled down on the character assassination. And so she was already 10, 12 points behind her Republican opponent. Now, could you imagine her face, the jaw just dropping and hitting the floor? She immediately went into damage control mode and issued an apology, but probably too little too late. Here she is. The only thing I can do is say, I am so sorry I'm not going to ask for forgiveness, but I want to know what we can do to fix this. And so it's not that this is, I'm not minimizing in any way, Scott, this, um, this event. I think that this is horrible. And I look at this the way I would if I were someone whose name was in the paper who didn't authorize it. And I think that that is a colossal and huge mistake for which I will undoubt, undoubtedly, you know, uh, 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 you know, have, have reputational injury as a result of it. But I'm not worried about that. I'm worried about fixing what we've done and the mistake that's been made. She even botched the apology. I mean, she, uh, she had the right instinct, which is, oh, dear God, I have to apologize right now. Oh, what has happened? So she goes on, she calls into CNN, she calls into whatever, this radio station, and they play it all over cable news. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, da-da-da-da-da. And she said it was a colossal mistake for which I will, and what she doesn't say is for which I will lose the election. She doesn't say for which my political career will be over. She's clearly thinking it. She's thinking, how can I say that in a way that gives me an out if by some miracle I win this election now? And so she says, for which I will, you know, suffer 
personal reputational injury. And then she realizes, oh my gosh, I'm, what am I doing? I'm making it about me again. I'm making it all about me. The mistake in the first place is that I, I made these women's rapes and sexual assaults all about me and used it cynically to my own political advantage. And I'm doing it again. And this is what Democrats have been doing for the entire Me Too movement. This is what they've been doing for the entire Kavanaugh circus is they've been pretending to care about sexual assault and rape. And all they're doing is cynically exploiting it. They're, they're actually injuring the people who have been raped and sexually assaulted by exploiting crimes against them for political benefit. To, to no benefit to the, the victims or the accusers, or in, in some cases, the hoaxers, to no benefit. So she says that, and then, and then she has to turn at the end too. She says, you know, uh, it'll give me personal reputational injury, but I'm not concerned about that. Yeah, obviously you are concerned about that. That was your conclusion. You said, this is so bad. I'm so, so sorry. And I, as a result of this, I'm going to have my reputation injured. It's not, I'm so, so sorry, these women's reputations have been injured. I'm so, so sorry, these women have been dragged through the mud, are now exposed to the national news media, are now at the height of this uh, sexual assault, national debate, international debate. No, 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 you're not sorry about that. You're sorry that it's going to hurt your reputation. You're sorry that it's going to hurt your chances at re-election. And then she's, oh, no, I didn't mean that. I mean, botches it every which way. How on earth do you mess up this badly? I think it is because... Trump is getting in their heads because everything, they expected everything to fall apart if that guy was elected president. They expected the economy to collapse, uh, us to start a world war, to be in some conflict. And when everything turned out to be exactly the opposite, they, it does not compute. They were shocked. They didn't consider the possibility that things would work out if the Republicans were running the government. And they just cracked up. They've totally broken down. And by the way, the, the next line you're going to hear out of Heidi Heitkamp and out of her campaign is that, oh, Heidi Heitkamp didn't know about this ad. Oh, it was just some low-level staff or oh, it was just some campaign, whatever. The buck stops there. The buck stops with the candidate. It's true. Candidates don't run their campaigns. Not on the day-to-day. -day. That's why you have a campaign manager. The candidate has to go out and be the candidate. The campaign manager has to be the manager. The, the actor in the movie has to perform in the movie and the director needs to watch everything else. But nevertheless, the buck stops with the candidate. If a candidate can't run a campaign, then the candidate cannot be trusted with the keys to our federal government. Period. End of story. So a really, really brutal. It would be a miracle for her if she, if she wins uh, out there in North Dakota. I don't, see, I don't see it really happening. How about in Arizona? Kirsten Sinema, Sinema, Sinema. Uh, she has a lead over the Republican Martha McSally still. But all of the momentum is in McSally's direction. So, it, you know, the Republican candidate was way down here. The Democrat was way up here, kind of floating along. Now taking a little bit of a nosedive and McSally is shooting, shooting up. So the momentum is there. It is a dead heat, though. It's not as though McSally is in the lead right now, not in a statistically significant lead. So just at this moment, we're already, you've got McSally on the upswing. We have released, probably as a little October surprise, from the Republicans, a video of Sinema uh, saying how much she hates her own state. You couldn't make this up. You could you say, okay, I, I need some good oppo to drop in, in October. Uh, do you have anything? She talks about taxes or I don't know. Say, well, how about if she says she hates all of the voters? What if she says she despises her constituents and the people voting for her? Take a look. For if you choose not to acknowledge the changing nature of your community, and allow instead extremists to fill the space that is created 
by the natural movement of change, then Arizona could also be your future. Arizona could all, heaven forfend. Goodness, I hope that Arizona isn't, isn't the future. She's saying, if you don't allow change, if you don't force me to go in and change the way of life in Arizona, uh, and, and if you don't allow change in other communities, you're going to end up like those troglodyte knuckle draggers in my home state of Arizona. Let, I mean, just a little bit of political advice to Kirsten. Uh, voters really don't like change. When you go in and you say your way of life is terrible and I want to change it, I want to fundamentally transform it, that creates a resistance against you. And then if you go in and say, also, I hate your guts and I hate who you are and you people are awful, not a great way to win votes. It would be be like a presidential candidate uh, having it uncovered that there was a video of him saying that he hates bald eagles and apple pie, you know, like a week before the election. That is the equivalent of this. And it's unfathomable that she would ever make these kind of comments, except that the left has gone insane. It's totally, it's lost control of the narrative. So they used to always say, look, the left is just as patriotic as the right. The left, we love our country too. Dissent is patriotic. Uh, we lo- but, and then you say, well, but you burn the American flag. You protest the national anthem. You say your, your presidential candidate says you want to fundamentally transform the country, which means you don't like the country. You, don't, you dislike the, the country and you, you want it to be something different. Um, this is when the truth comes out. They've cracked up. They realize they, they, they actually think that it's in the common culture that people hate America, they hate the West, they hate their community, they hate their countrymen. No, it's on Tumblr, it's on blogs, it's on Twitter. It's in your own little ideological bubble where you unfriend anybody who disagrees with you and anybody that you disagree with. And uh, in that bubble, that makes sense, but you've lost uh, an understanding of everybody else. Uh, she goes on. Uh, that, that wasn't. Those weren't even really her most damning comments about Arizona. Here, here are some others. Arizona is the state of the five C's. So cattle, copper, citrus, cotton, and climate. But I would add a sixth C. It's called crazy. (laughs) My state, Arizona, is clearly the meth lab of democracy. (laughs) I want to talk to you about some of the things that I think that you can do to stop your state from becoming Arizona. Damn, those people are crazy. Arizona is the meth lab of democracy? Is she like a late night comedian? Is she, what is she doing? Obviously this was taken a little while ago, though not that long ago because she looks exactly the same there. Uh, Not a good idea if you uh, despise your your state to try to run for Senate there. You've got to, you should run somewhere else. You should run where people like you. So I think it's going to really hurt her. The, the momentum was already in the other direction. And this is a pretty good October surprise for whichever Republican dug this up. Pretty good stuff. And I'm glad they sat on it. We're going to see a lot more October surprises. And then we have to get to the best race of all. Beto, beta male, beta O'Rourke, Robert Francis in Texas. So much more. Um, Stephen Hawking is uh, giving us a warning from beyond the grave of the upcoming apocalypse. We've got Louis Farrakhan. We've got Robin Williams. A lot more to get to. First, I've got to say goodbye to Facebook and YouTube. Now, today at 7 o'clock Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific, do not miss our next episode of Daily Wire Backstage with Ben Shapiro, uh, God King Jeremy Boring, Andrew Clavin, myself, and Elisha Krause. We will be taking questions, but only from Daily Wire subscribers. So make sure to become a subscriber today. Why would you become a subscriber? Well, you know, you get me. You get the Andrew Clavin Show, you get the Ben Shapiro Show, you get to ask questions in the mailbag, you get to ask questions in the conversation. 
this. This is what matters. This is the straight from the meth lab of democracy itself, the leftist tears tumbler. I don't know where to begin with this one. And also, I, I guess I'm going to have to, I'm going to, I'm, I guess I'm going to have to talk a little, little trash about our leftist tears tumbler here. Now it's obviously excellent quality. It's an FDA approved vessel. It's too small. It's too small. We're going to have to get a bigger one. Hopefully by the time you subscribe, we'll have bigger, we'll have like a, a, a Titanic sized vessel to contain all of them because they're really, really big. There's a, there's a wave coming. There's a salty leftist tears wave coming. Make sure you get your tumbler before it drowns you. So much more to get to. Go to dailywire.com. We'll be right back. Last but also least, Beta O'Rourke, Mr. Beta himself, met for the final debate with Ted Cruz, national debating champion. It was bloody. It was pretty bad. Uh, his campaign not looking great right now. I mean, looking great from our perspective, not looking great for Mr. Beta. So I'll point out, Beta O'Rourke raised $40 million in the third fundraising quarter. This is a $40 million. This is a huge amount of money. I think it's a, it breaks the record, right? Um, he took in a huge cash hole. What on earth he needs $40 million for with three weeks to go of the campaign? Not even three weeks left of the campaign. Nobody knows. We might have some speculation. So uh, he's taking in all of this money. He's not really spending a lot of it because his numbers are not great. I think right now, polls show Cruz has a seven-point lead. So look, it could... Beta O'Rourke could win. It is entirely possible, if Republicans don't get out to vote, that Beta O'Rourke will win. Now, Greg Abbott has a higher margin right now. Uh, the governor of Texas has a higher margin of victory than Ted Cruz does, according to the pollsters. However, nobody is going to go be an Abbott voter, but not vote for Cruz, right? Nobody's going to be an Abbott Beta voter. So I'm even a little skeptical of some of those polls. Uh, nevertheless, Beta is raising a ton of money. It's the largest amount ever raised by a Senate candidate in a single quarter. But the last record was in the year 2000 when Rick Lazio ran for the Senate against Hillary Clinton and raised 22 million. So let this sink in. The last record that Beto O'Rourke just beat was raised by one of the biggest losers to run for the United States Senate. He lost to Hillary Clinton, carpetbagging Hillary Clinton, moved to New York about a week before her election campaign, and he lost tremendously and, gave, and foisted Hillary on us for another eight or 10 years, ever, no, I guess 16 years. Um, so not great news. If, if O'Rourke said, yeah, I've raised all this, look at all this money that I've raised, you think, well, the guy you just beat was one of the biggest losers, not a huge victory. So they, they met last night, Cruz and O'Rourke, for the final debate before the election. Oh, where to begin, where to begin. Uh, take it away, Mr. Beto. First, Jason, let me thank you and Sarah for moderating tonight's debate, Ken's Five, for hosting us, the people of San Antonio for being here, and the people of Texas for watching this and participating in one of the most important decisions of our lifetimes. Okay, okay, starts out basically good. I mean, Biggest decision of our lifetimes, the Senate race in Texas. I don't really buy that. I don't think that the race between Beta O'Rourke and Ted Cruz, when the Republicans control Congress, Republicans control the Senate, Republicans control the House or the, the White House, is really one of the biggest uh, decisions in your lifetime. You should rethink your life if that is the case. But okay, he's just speaking typical political hyperbole. Uh, go on, Mr. Beto. Es un honor estar aquí con ustedes otra vez aquí en, en San Antonio. 
Ooh, muy mal, muy, muy mal, Senor Beto, Senor Robert Francis O'Rourke. Robert Francis Beto, oh yes, my name's Senor Beto. Yo hablo espanol, don't you know? Heidi daidi do. Okay, <laughs> not, not uh, helping your case. B- uh, Beto O'Rourke uh, is a fully Irish guy. He's probably a little more Native American than Elizabeth Warren, but he's still an Irish guy. Uh, he goes by Beto because he wants to appeal to Spanish voters in Texas, Hispanic voters, but he's not at all Hispanic and it's absurd and it's cynical. So what, look, uh, racial identity politics has become very important thanks to the left and the Democratic Party. Uh, they've made a big deal about this. When you lie about your ethnicity, that doesn't reflect very well on you. Elizabeth Warren has learned this. I think Mr. O'Rourke has learned this too. What you need to do when you're called out for this is stop calling attention to it. Stop calling attention to the fact that you're a fraud and a cynical race hustler. What does Beto O'Rourke do? He speaks Spanish during a debate in the state of Texas. Not, uh, not a very smart move. So he, he hablas espanol with his Irish brogue. Uh, then he goes on, what's the biggest hit? What's the, what's, here, here, sock it to me, Mr. Beto. What's going to be your, your clock on Ted Cruz? Our junior senator uh, will not stand up to President Trump, someone who apologizes for Russia, defends that country, Vladimir Putin, the leader of the country that sought to undermine our democracy. He won't stand up against him and he won't stand up for us to make sure that our elections are free and fair, that your vote goes to the intended candidate. This, this is beyond party politics. This is, getting, uh, this is getting our democracy back on track. And we need a, a senator from Texas who will do that. What a stupid strategy. Uh, what, the Russia thing is totally empty. One, virtually every public opinion poll shows Americans do not care about Russian collusion, mostly because there's no such thing as Russian collusion. The FBI hasn't come up with anything. It looks increasingly like a setup by Democrats. We have evidence in part that it was a setup by Democrats and the Obama administration and the Clinton campaign. Not a great issue. Why would you make this your issue? By the way, there, there is talk now that Robert Mueller is wrapping up his investigation. I don't know. They've been saying he's wrapping it up for months now, so I don't know if I believe it. But uh, let me tell you something. If, if Mueller had something on Trump, it would be leaking right now. So give it a few more days, but it would be leaking right now if they really had something that was going to get the president of the United States. If it doesn't leak before these midterms, they don't have nothing. They don't have anything. So that attack is a total waste. He stands up to, he doesn't stand up to Russia. Okay. And then he says that Cruz won't stand up to President Trump. This attack also falls flat. There are plenty of good ways to attack Ted Cruz. This isn't one of them. Cruz fought Trump tooth and nail for the Republican presidential nomination. He fought him all the way to the convention. And then at the GOP convention, he wouldn't even endorse the guy. He wouldn't even say, go out and vote for Trump. He said, go vote your conscience. Now, people might have an issue with Cruz doing that. Absolutely. Fair enough. But what that certainly shows is that he's willing to stand up to Donald Trump. He stood up to him for the entire campaign and he was the last man standing. In fact, that, that is probably Cruz's biggest problem. The biggest problem facing Cruz right now is he isn't seen as being a team player and loyal to the administration, which has been very uh, successful for conservative policy Uh, in some quarters. I think he's been terrific, actually. But in some quarters, he's seen as not not loyal to the administration. Okay, Uh, so by Beto O'Rourke saying that, saying that he won't, you know, go out and attack Donald Trump, you're actually galvanizing Cruz's base. Why does Cruz have a lower... 
uh, have lower poll numbers than Greg Abbott, the Republican governor of Texas. It's because Cruz has been embroiled in some of these controversies with the current president because he's been embroiled in some controversies as senator. Uh, Beto is doing, Beto, Robert Francis is doing Cruz's work for him here. Uh, the only thing that makes sense about this is that he's not running for Senate right now. O'Rourke, O'Rourke is looking at the numbers. He's saying, I'm probably not going to be able to make up that difference in the next two and a half weeks. So what I'm going to do is save the 40 million that I've gotten out of Democrats and try to run for president in 2020. That's word on the street from people who are working on some of these races. Uh, all I can say is if you're a Democrat watching this show, Thanks. Hey, well, that's cool. I didn't know. I didn't know you were there. Uh, also, if you're a Democrat watching this show, give your money. Donate now to Beto O'Rourke. He donate right. Give all the money you possibly can because O'Rourke is sucking money out of all of these other swing Senate races, and he's just throwing it in, in his campaign coffers to try to run in 2020. So sounds good. I, I'm sure that uh, Republicans in North Dakota, Indiana, Missouri, I am sure they thank you. Congressman O'Rourke for, uh, for taking money out of races where the, it actually might matter. Um, not looking great, not looking great for them, not looking great for him at all. Uh, we'll see. Look, things can change all the time. I'm not predicting anything because there are always October surprises that come up even later than this. And that might happen again. Uh, plus the federal reserve might raise interest rates and put a damper on the economy. I think it's still a little too late for that to really matter. Uh, but president Trump is talking about this right now. So the, the big headline that no one's talking about is that uh, the U.S. has reclaimed the number one most competitive country in the world title. Uh, this is according to the World Economic Forum. This is the first time since 2008 that we've had that. Hmm, what happened between 2008 and this administration? Oh, it's, uh, got a few sil Barack, Saddam Hussein Osama bin Laden. No, no, no uh, Barack Hussein Obama, I think that was his name. Uh, that's what happened. I've almost forgotten about him because his legacy has been erased. Uh, right now we're beating Singapore, beating Germany, beating Switzerland, beating Japan. Uh, so great economic news. Right now, if the Federal Reserve raises interest rates, uh, that could put a damper on the exploding economy. And President Trump acknowledged this. He said that the biggest threat that he faces politically is the Federal Reserve because the Federal Reserve is independent. Monetary policy, unlike fiscal policy, is independent of political machinations from the elected officials. So uh, if they raise the rates too quickly and they put a damper on economic growth, it could obviously hit him. Hopefully that won't happen. But, you know, this is a, a big win for all Republicans. This is on top of the Trump win on the, the court ruling with Stormy Daniels and her third rate lawyer, Michael Avenatti. This is on top of getting Kavanaugh confirmed and Republicans are running hard on the confirmation of Kavanaugh right now and all of the other judges. This is all pretty good news. So the bad news comes from Stephen Hawking. Uh, Steve, I know, he died in March. How does he have bad news to give us? He has a message from beyond the grave. Stephen Hawking uh, published a new book uh, where he explains all of the awful uh, things that are going to occur to all of us in the near future, particularly around AI, artificial intelligence, and uh, gene editing technology. So rather than read the book, rather than tell you to read the book, I uh, was actually able, through the power of voodoo, to get uh, Professor Hawking on the phone from beyond the grave and to get a, a, just a quick little interview. Um, professor, uh, what would you like for us to know? Run, run for your life. Oh, the horror, the horror. Was that, are you still there, Professor? Did you, I guess he cut out. I don't know if that's talking, I know he was a famous atheist, so I don't know if he's talking about the horror where he is or the horror where, 
where we're going to be. I don't know. Who knows? You never know where people go after, after this life is over, once we've shuffled off this mortal coil. So he's predicting that uh, things are going to look pretty bad for us pretty quickly. He's writing in his new book, quote, while primitive forms of artificial intelligence developed so far have proved very useful, I fear the consequences of creating something that can match or surpass humans. Humans who are limited by slow biological evolution could not compete and would be superseded. We've heard this before. We've heard these kind of scare stories about artificial intelligence. You know, are you Sarah Connor? Ah, you know, Terminator comes back and, and they slaughter all of humanity. I'm not that concerned about that right now, mostly because I'm skeptical of artificial intelligence ever being creative. Uh, right now, we think of artificial intelligence as, uh, you know, being so advanced, it's about to surpass humans. But artificial intelligence doesn't think the way that humans think. Humans are creative. I think David Galernter, the computer scientist at Yale, made this point decades ago. The way that artificial intelligence works is it solves problems. And certainly the human brain solves problems, but it does a lot more than just solve problems. We think creatively. When I'm, you know, I'm sitting there with my kofefe on the table and I'm, you know, I don't know, Ben and Jeremy are trying to get me to do work or something, and I'm just kind of looking at them and I'm staring off in the distance like, I, like uh, you know, I'm, I, you would call that daydreaming, I guess. Is that think, I'm certainly not solving problems, but I am thinking. There is some kind of thinking going on. What about when I sleep, when I'm dreaming? Uh, at night. I'm not solving problems usually in my sleep, but I am thinking there is a, a, an intelligence going on at that, at that moment. Artificial intelligence doesn't really capture that, and it doesn't capture inventiveness and creativity. I suspect that it won't be able to do that, and I suspect it will never be conscious because uh, our consciousness is a, a, a metaphysical question rather than merely a physical question, the relationship of our mind to our brain and our physical body. Uh, and a lot of the people pushing the AI uh, scariness and spookiness are materialists who think that there's nothing in the world other than that which is physical and material. Obviously, we know that that isn't true because there's love and beauty and uh, mathematics and uh, transcendence and glory and uh, virtue and all of those sort of things. Okay. So I, I'm not terribly worried about that aspect of it. Stephen Hawking then goes on. He says, quote, once such superhumans appear, uh, and, and we're not just talking about AI anymore. He's talking about superhumans. He's talking specifically about the ability to edit our genome. So right now we have uh, emerging technology like CRISPR gene editing, uh, C-R-I-S-P-R, uh, to be able to go in to the genet human genetic code and delete um, uh, malformed pieces of the genetic code, things that cause disease, things that cause uh, deformations in our genes. Okay, uh, that's good and, and uh, that's emerging technology to be able to try to correct diseases. Once we really harness that technology, what would stop human beings from using that technology to improve the human genome? Make us stronger, better, faster, stronger, to quote uh, our future Republican President Kanye West. Uh, I, I can't imagine what. Once we have that technology, certain we'll do, certainly we'll do that. We'll create a race of superhumans. Here's the fear from Hawking. He says, once the superhumans appear, there are going to be significant political problems with the unimproved humans who will not be able to compete. Presumably, they'll die out or become unimportant. Instead, there will be a race of self-designing beings who are improving themselves at an ever-increasing rate. And that's certainly true, because once you really improve yourself, you get super smart, super better, faster, stronger, then uh, you're... Uh, 
exponentially going to increase the rate at which you can improve yourself. Uh, that, this is a, a true fear because it raises a lot of bioethical questions about what happens when you play God. Generally speaking, it's a bad idea to play God. Doesn't turn out well for people who do it in the Bible. Doesn't turn out well for people who try to do it in history. And it can breed a lot of human misery. That's happened politically with utopian political movements. It's happened with uh, technological political movements, eugenic political movements like the Nazis and in the United States for that matter. Uh, It's not good. And the worst part of it is that our moral dialogue has been so impoverished that we don't even have the vocabulary to talk about these bioethical concerns. During the Bush administration, they had a panel on bioethical inquiry to talk about abortion, cloning, uh, in vitro fertilization, that kind of stuff. Today, it's only 15 years later, I don't know that we even have that ability to discuss bioethical questions like that. Why, even if we can create a race of superhumans, maybe we shouldn't. And it, uh, obviously, we shouldn't do that. Um, uh, that. That's unfortunate. And speaking of our paltry uh, uh, ethical dialogue, Google has gone out and just basically admitted that they're going to be evil. You know, they had that old quote, uh, don't be evil. And now the the new motto, I think, is just... Uh, uh, be evil. I think they deleted one word. It's, it's, it's more efficient. It's streamlined uh, because now they're saying, uh, Sundar Pichai, the head of Google, is saying that they're working with the Chinese government. They're exploring work with them to censor their citizens, to censor political dissidents, to work with one of the most evil regimes on earth. Uh, we, we know that this is happening after Google pulls out of a competition for cloud computing with the Pentagon, with the United States Defense Department, and after they're pulling out of an AI project with the U.S. Defense Department because employees at Google complained that Google was working with the U.S. military. The employees don't want Google to work with the U.S. military. They do want Google to work with the censorious, communist, uh, brutal, tyrannical, totalitarian Chinese government. That is a moral idiocy and a moral blindness that is pretty shocking. Um, it, It also exposes a point that the Trump campaign understood in 2015, 2016, and that I think some conservatives are coming to now, which is a questioning of our idolatry of the free market. Obviously, we we love free market economics. It creates so much prosperity for ourselves and for the whole world. But we can't make an idol out of it because there are some questions raised by this. This is what we call neoliberalism. Neoliberalism being the advocacy of free markets, free trade, free everything without regard to national boundaries or national loyalties. Uh, This can breed a lot of good, absolutely. But if you've got an American company, Google, an essentially American company, saying that they won't work with their own government to protect their own government's national interests, and they will work with that government's enemies, with their own nation's enemies, to censor their citizens and maybe give them technology that could be used to fight against the United States, then you know that neoliberalism has gone wrong. Uh, Irving Kristol, who is a neoconservative, that word neoconservative has been abused to the point of not having any meaning anymore almost, but uh, Irving Kristol was a left-winger who became a conservative in the 60s and 70s. And uh, Irving Kristol described a neoconservative as a liberal who had been mugged by reality. Uh, But then he went on, people know that quote, he went on to describe a neoliberal as a liberal who had been mugged by reality but didn't press any charges. (laughs) And I think that's what we're seeing here. A real questioning, look, I love being able to get cheap consumer goods, I want to be able to sell cheap consumer goods, I want access to a lot of markets. But when you have 
one of the biggest countries in the history of the world and an American company going in and saying we will not help out the United States government and we will help out the government, the United States' enemies and we will help those enemies censor their own population and in, help to enslave their own population, which is what China has become. China is becoming a slave state with concentration camps, um, cameras everywhere, monitoring citizens, facial recognition, I mean a true dystopian uh, hell. Uh, then you know that something has gone terribly wrong in your economic ideology and maybe it requires uh, changing. A lot more to get to, but unfortunately we don't have time today. We're out of time. Uh, tune in for Backstage. Maybe we'll talk a, a little bit more about those things. Get your mailbag questions in. That's going to be tomorrow. And uh, so we'll be, uh, we'll be seeing you then. In the meantime, I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. The Michael Knowles Show is produced by Senia Villarreal. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Senior producer, Jonathan Hay. Our supervising producer, Mathis Glover. And our technical producer is Austin Stevens. Edited by Jim Nickel. Audio is mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Olvera. The Michael Knowles Show is a Daily Wire Forward Publishing production. Copyright Forward Publishing 2018.